1: helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. A reminder for you, if you haven't already, check out my website, say skillfully.com Sign up for my mailing list. We've been getting great reviews on the tips in my short newsletter. And I also want to encourage you to check out my free mini course and get a head start on how you can speak up positively and productively in any situation. And we have an awesome lineup of callers to take us through Uh, situations that they are encountering at work. And I am thrilled that we're starting in Belgium with Greet. So Greet, welcome to Say It Skillfully.
2: Thank you, Molly. Happy to
1: be here. Yeah, I'm thrilled you're making time and uh, we'd love to hear a bit
2: uh, about what's on your mind. Well, um, I'm a chief happiness officer here in Belgium. I I founded my own company. We work with, with other companies on happiness at work and well-being at work. And what really impresses me over and over again is that I hear so many people say, yes, so I thought, so I've been thinking. And do you know what I thought back then? And then I always invite them to... The next question and this question is yeah and did you only think it or did you also say it? And I meet way too many people who think a lot but don't really speak up their mind and that's a pity isn't it?
1: Well, you're hitting on the real uh genesis for the show greet and that is really I was it was so it's so painful for me because I I yeah. really see genius in everyone and
2: you know you can't contribute to your fullest if you don't Say it. True, absolutely, and especially as a chief happiness officer. Um, well, a lot of companies, teams, but at the end of the day, it's people, isn't it? They reach out to us um, because they are in difficulty. They are. Um, they They see teams having conflicts, for instance, and then when you stay above the line, above the the water line, you could say um, there is a lot that has been. Well, there is not so much that has been said, to be honest. While under the line, under the water, you see so many beautiful things, but people are so often scared and then they decide to not speak. Incredible, I think.
1: Well, so let's lean into this with your clients. What's tough for you when you see this and you, you basically want to shake them <laughs> tell them to speak up?
2: Oh, Molly, you know me too well already. Um, well, actually, with, with my team, because I, I, I created a team around me. We are about uh, 25 people working in this domain. And we discovered that something like a company cactus exists. I don't know if you know what a company cactus is, Molly.
1: No, but we're about to find out, I think.
2: Definitely, definitely. It's, it's actually the kind of person, the kind of colleague you don't want to meet at the coffee machine. Because for some reason, they always hurt. When you want to talk to them, just have a, a, a conversation, they, they are like, yeah, whatever. Um, when you have a question, you need help, for instance, oh, that's not part of my job description. And whatever whatever situation you can come up with right now, they always seem to have an excuse, I think in their minds, a reason not to help or not to be the nice colleague. And at first, when I was young, I'm not so young anymore today, but okay, um, I was convinced that, well, I don't know if you know Tim Dorsett, um, Innocent Drinks, and he always said, I would, ride, I would rather have a hole in the team than an asshole. I really thought that these people were just, well, trying to not be nice. But doing research, working with a lot of companies and people, I discovered that the company Cactus actually walked in the room as being a wonderful person engaged enthusiastic um, really convinced of a lot of wonderful things but then while working together in the organization with his or her boss with the people around this person well little by little he got disappointed and what you often see is that when people get disappointed but they don't talk about it, they don't have the courage or the psychological safety to say what's on their minds. well, they might transform in, into this company cactus who is not the nicest person to meet, but why is it actually? Because, well, the company cactus is unhappy at work.
1: So talk to me about how do you uh, have the conversation with these people yeah so that they either um, own it, right, mm-hmm. and change, or mm-hmm. we all know, as leaders know, you cannot enable behaviors to true. persist in your company, and so you need to move people on.
2: Yeah, definitely true, and I think a very hard game to play, to be honest. Um, my advice, my first advice, because I think it's... Um, it's a, a, um, a kind of, um, how can I call this? It's, it's different things on our to-do list, let's say. And my first advice is always, when you meet a company cactus, and we do a lot of trainings and workshops, I always ask, and, and keynotes. And when I see my audience, and I talk about the company cactus, almost everybody in the audience goes like, oh yeah, I know one. Please don't mention names. Huh? Um, but the first thing to do is, I think to take good care of yourself because if you are around the company cactus and you don't take care of yourself this person might drain your energy this is not a good idea because if i'm going to the red zone of my energy i risk of losing a lot of well abilities in communication and in my behavior so um refuel yourself whenever possible whenever necessary and if there is no other option Please create a reality in which you don't have to be around the cactus 24-7. I think that's a very important piece of advice. But secondly, let's not just leave them sitting somewhere because that's what often happens these days, especially leaders. They tend to look at their company or or their, their team cactus and go like, yeah, so this is a difficult one in my team. I don't know what to say to motivate or stimulate this person anymore. So I'll just leave him or her alone and uh, I'll reach out to the, to the people who are willing and able to, to take us to the next level. That's not the way to go. Please reach out to them. Um, ask them questions because, as I said, they often have been disappointed and if they are not in the possibility to talk about this, to answer the question and, and they need often help to find these answers, but to answer the question, what do you need to feel better within this reality today? I think that it's it's a loss for everybody. So reaching out, having a private conversation, not with the entire team around and from human to human engaging into conversation, it's, it's not a game changer from a, a miracle point of view, but it really might do the trick.
1: Right. So great. This is so great. And this is where I'm going to call out. What happens is a lot of folks will talk about in third person what they'd say. Right. So I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm a cactus person. Okay. I'm the cactus person. I'm disengaged at work and you're the manager. Okay. Mm -hmm. role Mm -hmm. play. How would you handle it?
2: Molly, do you have a little moment? Because I would like to have a chat with you. Uh,
1: No, not right now.
2: Okay, when, when would it suit you? Do do, do you have a moment in uh, in fifteen minutes or so, for instance?
1: No, I'm really really busy today.
2: Yeah. Okay. So not today. Um, what's the first possibility in your calendar? Uh, I can do it next week. Next week? What time? What day? Uh, I'll have to get back to you. Hmm. That's not the way to go, Molly. I really need to talk to you. Can we schedule a moment? It will just take five minutes or so. Uh, okay. Next week, I can do it. And when next week? Uh, I could
1: do it uh, Wednesday morning.
2: Wednesday morning. 9 a.m. First thing, let's grab a coffee and uh, breakfast together.
1: Yeah. Right. Okay, great. Uh, so I am hope my listeners are kind of smiling. So I'm, I'm doing this Me kind too. of deliberately. And I think we can unpack this because the um, the opportunity, and, you know, I wanted to also segue a bit before we go, because the Dutch are known, I think, Reed, for being quite, comfortable being very upfront, right? And, and I think if I recall that even like in proximity physically, they're much, much uh, comfortable talking quite closely to people. And culture, that's a very different thing for some folks. So that's when you fact. get right so when you get someone who's the, the pushing back. and so clearly the person is not excited about engaging. Um, and so we can kind of continue to push the pedal on the accelerator. Which is unlike is just likely to put them more on their heels. Mm-hmm. And so, what I would encourage folks is when you are encountering a certain emotional reaction or um, response, is to work with that. So, what happens is potentially the person's like, "Well, I want to schedule a meeting." Like you're about, "I want to schedule the meeting," right? And that's actually not the issue. The issue is like, what does that person state, and can we have, ha- can we be open about the state of where they are? Forget solving for anything. So I'm just going to be talking broadly to listeners. So, some, you know, hey, one thing, and starting with an acknowledgement in an authentic way of the value that person has, um, work that they have done, and clarifying your role with the person. You may be the manager and say, hey, one of the things, I, I care about you. I'm seeing, you know, I, I just get a sense that, you know, there's something that's not quite clicking. And I, I know... You've done great work and I see a lot more within you and I'd love to just be open about how can I be more supportive for you, Mm -hmm. right? So that kind of language can help take down shields and it's information for, in this case, you, the manager, about where this person is at. Because we want to really meet people where they are. It's hard to meet them where they are, where we don't know where they are. And so the challenge is really... Help me figure out, like, where is this person really? And once we can nail where we are, we can potentially figure out where we would want to go. Just going yeah. to
2: pause there. How's that land? Absolutely. And I think that well, it's 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 a cultural thing, probably. I I live in Belgium. We always look at our Dutchies, huh? our uh, northern neighbors, as oh, they, they are so upfront, not to say even blunt. But I have to admit that reaching out to Dutch colleagues. I experience exactly the same difficulty as we have in Belgium. As I see with my um, American colleagues, for instance, because I work on a, on a quite international uh, uh, level. And it's a cultural thing, but it's mainly a personal culture.
1: Yeah, so say more about the... I'm curious how... Again, I don't, know, I don't want to label every person from Belgium like this way. But just <laughs> It's interesting for those of us who don't transact a lot of business. Or have a lot of folks we know in Belgium. What would you say about the culture? And then, as you go go up north to the Netherlands, what you know? How does that compare and contrast?
2: Yeah, I, I think that well, Belgium is, I think, one of the smallest countries in the world—not the smallest, but a very small country—and it's really difficult to, to pinpoint the Belgian culture because actually we have three cultures. I'm living in the northern part of the country, so I speak Dutch. That's my mother tongue. Um, with a, a completely different accent than our northern neighbors from the Netherlands. They have we, we share the same language, but we use different words and we have a completely different accent. Really difficult for us to understand each other, but we do understand each other. But in Belgium, next to the Dutch community, you also have a French-speaking community, and that's a completely different culture. They are Um, Addressing people from a completely different angle, if you compare it to the Dutch community. And then we have a third group, the smallest group, and that's the people who speak German. And so you have three cultures, well, three languages, three cultures. I started my career, Molly, as a language trainer. So I'm Dutch speaking, but I studied French and I became a French trainer in companies. And it's really incredible to see how it's not only or even mainly about language, but really about culture. Like for instance, in in my language, in Dutch, being polite means that if you are in a a room with people, if you are in a a meeting, for instance, one person is, is talking and the other people are listening, maybe writing some stuff down. And when you have the impression that the first person is done, then you you can react and you're going to raise your hand or whatever, or you're just going to indicate, hey, I want to say something. In French, it's exactly the opposite. There, if you want to express your politeness, your interest, you kind of like need to try to finish the sentence that the person that's speaking is starting. So in French, it's polite to have maybe two or three people speaking at the same time which is really difficult to follow if you don't have this 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 habit, let's say. So in Belgium, we have a big well um, problem, you could say, or or a challenge in our country because you have French-speaking people, Dutch-speaking people who don't, and and German-speaking people who don't only have a language issue, but who look at each other like, hey, but. Can you be a bit polite, please? Because in, in, in Dutch, I want to say something and the French colleague is trying to finish, finish my sentence. That's not okay. And I, when my first ever meeting that I had in French 25 years ago, I was sitting there being the little Dutch girl, looking and listening. And at a certain point, one of the, the people in the meeting looked at me. This was the person who was... Uh, giving a little presentation and I was the only one who was really silent and this lady she looks at me at a certain point and she goes well she asks me in French like um are you interested in what I'm saying and I was like yeah uh, yes of course I am I'm I'm trying to understand and I'm I'm really well going to the to, to the analysis that you're making and I'm yeah but why don't you show your interest and I was like oh my god So the cultural aspect is a really important aspect, I think.
1: I love this. So let's chime in and abstract this for folks. Whether it's a um, multicultural or just styles, the idea of people coming together and transparency is our friend. So being able, you know, as a leader saying, you know, I'm noticing we're bringing folks from all different parts of this case, um, continent, or it could be just the US with different norms. And, you know, you can even joke, I understand that um, in this case, you know, in Dutch being polite is, you know, really waiting and raising your hand, but for our folks from France, they may think that it's actually jumping in. So let us create together for this particular group, what we would like to consider polite and norm in the spirit of how do we do our best work together. And so I just wanna encourage folks, this applies very broadly, um, and for folks who are on the quieter side, I would say that I had traditionally been someone who it's better if someone says, "Molly, what do you think?" Right? It's not as easy for me to just kind of plunge in. I've learned to do that, of course, but I just want to offer to folks the ability to create transparency. That you know, the word polite, the word respect, the word patience, you know, has is not necessarily a dictionary definition. So if you take a little bit of time for folks to co-create, hey, what's going to help us? do our best work at the speed that we want, bringing everyone along and people co-create that, you can really, I think, avoid a lot of unintentional bumps along the way. And the value of that is as a group, as you've decided this is what we want, by the way, with MIT research, right? The highest performing teams, everyone's talking short and sweet. There's no big monologues, right? So if you establish that, then when people aren't doing it, Everyone says, hey, remember this is what we wanted, and we wanted everyone to be chiming in. So if you haven't chimed in, you know, we want you, we want to hear from you. And the same thing is if you've been chiming in too much, we need you to like to hang back a little bit and create some space for other people. So um, I just want to offer that as something that all teams can do. If your boss or your facilitator isn't doing that, feel free to jump in and, and throw it out there. Blame me, right? <laughs> we heard it on the show. This is really something that I see a lot of teams struggling with that they don't need to. So, uh, Greet, we have covered a lot. I am curious, uh, a top takeaway that you might have from our little conversation.
2: Well, I, I think at the end of the day, it's, for me at least, it's all about um, just stay true to yourself and and for me it's all about authenticity and if you have an idea a question a doubt if you have uh if you need something don't be afraid to to not only think about it but please say what's on your mind because communication i think it's the only way for us human beings and even also with animals to to engage and to reach out to each other and I think that together we will always reach more than just, yeah, me, myself, and I. So thanks a lot, Molly.
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. Great. I, uh, I, 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 I'm really proud of you for reaching out and doing, You can tell in your voice that you are kind of in your dream state. Like this is what you want to be doing and what you stand for for people. And I think that is just such a wonderful thing because we spend a lot of time in our work and to do something that lights you up where you feel like you're serving and helping others is really Absolutely. wonderful so um yeah. you know I, I encourage everyone to be their own chief happiness officer by the way uh-huh. um, it's it's a much better way to go so Absolutely. um I, Thanks a I, million. Th- yeah i thank you you're a part of the solution my friend and you ha- you know how to reach me if i can be helpful you let me know all righty take care you too oh my god who doesn't want to be chief happiness officer that is fabulous Okay, we're coming back to the States, and we're heading to the Washington, D.C. area, and I am thrilled to welcome Maha to the show. Maha, welcome to Say It Skillfully.
3: Hello, Molly. How are you today?
1: I could not be more fabulous. This is so fun. So talk to us. What tough conversation or sensitive situation is on your mind?
3: Thank you for having me. Well, um, so I'm a um, business consultant that started out in communications for almost a decade or more. And what really interests me um, moving from, you know, working in two continents, I've worked in the Middle East, I've worked in Canada, and recently for the last several years in the U.S. is how impactful communication is on businesses and the bottom line and what people want to achieve and the people that work in them and their happiness, as Greek was mentioning, Um, especially and particularly in situations where the relationship or culture is toxic or uh, where there are individuals from multiple cultures, diverse backgrounds, multilingual, um, international contexts, especially here in DC, um, that's happens to be uh, very common in our uh, nonprofit work. One in four um, employees in the DC area is a nonprofit employee. So it is a very common theme that uh, we come across.
1: So what's the most challenging part of it
3: for you? Well, for me, I think that what I've noticed from work and for me personally is working through toxic situations and workplace abuse, Um, through um, that multicultural, multilingual diversity lens um, happens to be something that I get a lot of requests for assistance in. And I don't always have the answer to because it's difficult enough for someone to be in that situation. And our definition of professionalism in the U.S. may be different from professionalism in a different context uh, in another country. What a cultural norm, uh, as Greet was uh, mentioning. When two or three people are talking at the same time in um, one one context and they're trying to communicate with somebody who uh, wants to be, you know, thinks that's rude. That's absolutely (laughs) maybe the rudest thing you can do to them. Um, Friction occurs in the most minute and small ways. But then addressing workplace, toxic workplace culture becomes an even more challenging um, situation in, those, uh, in, in that situation. So there are things that you can work on and then there are things that are so long term that it, it, it takes a village. <laughs> it takes the whole organization or at least leadership to kind of chime in, whether it's leadership internally from wherever the people are in their organization to voice that concern and, you know, be a voice or support, or um, uh, from HR to be, or, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors in it. It's a lot more complicated than uh, in situations where it's linear and everybody looks like us and talks like us. And um, and and those are the you know, traditional situations, what I've noticed is the most complicated of cases and the ones that actually people leave organizations feeling very hurt and misunderstood and have an impact on their lives are mostly, uh, in, in the case of that I've confronted and helped uh, support, are persons and individuals that have uh, had that diversity aspect. And it's been very impactful on their lives, on their professional careers and the choices they've made afterwards. Ugh, my heart is so heavy because I'm I, so sorry. I didn't no, no, up I, I the, get the heavy it.
1: topic. No, I get it. It's a heavy topic and it's very real. So, just for listeners and for my edification, you're in a consultancy, so you're called in to help people. Is
3: that how, how it is? I'm a business consultant. I do uh, business strategy, uh, support organizations generally. Okay. My passion um, is in change making and leadership. Um, but I've realized over time that uh, those two don't need to be exclusive and having a background in communication, um, I do have an ear for these things. Uh, there, there's, you, you sense things, uh, not, you know, nonverbal communication when you walk into meetings, whether they're virtual or not. Um, and you, and, and you pick up on that. And there's also my personal experiences. Um, I had this, a little bit of professional splash when I first came to DC from Canada. It was uh, a, a different culture. It's uh, it, it's not completely different, but it's different than the Canadian culture uh, of the workplace. So it, it was a bit of an adjustment for myself as well.
1: Oh, for sure. Well, totally for sure. Um, okay,
3: so let's take this on a few
1: ways. One is as an independent consultant, um, and for any folks who are out there in your own businesses, client selection, client selection is super, super, super important. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to be able to assess good fit and uh, and can the client, does the client really want to go there and can they? And I'm not going to offer any magic pill, but to be very intentional, um, to partner with folks where the value set is there and there's a chance of a mutual win-win. That might sound kind of basic, but when I ran the nonprofit for a brief time, you also just don't take money from any donor. You need to take money from donors that are aligned with a vision that are going to be good partners where it's a relational thing. So, I just offer that sometimes that can be hard as one is starting a business, you feel like you need to take, you know, certain kind of income from folks, so there's a trade-off But I do want to empower folks, if you're in it for the long haul, you really are defined by the people you're around, and so you want to choose really wisely. Um, And in the space that you're in, it sounds like there's a lot of need. This quote-unquote word, toxic culture, you know, I don't know. I hear it a lot. I have um, been in bits and pieces where it's not been lovely, but I do know that people talk about that. The ability to just, you know, understand. They got to want to change it, right? (laughs) At some level. And so whether that's a senior leader thing, just appreciating that one way the culture is being interpreted as toxic, like, what does that really mean? So I I would offer folks when they throw that around to not throw it around, but double click on that and help us understand like, what is it that's creating this sense of toxicity? Um, And then, you know, folks have a choice. If you're out there and it's, you've give it a shot, you've tried to raise it with positive intention, to try to help people appreciate that some of the behaviors aren't really serving us. If that's just falling on deaf ears, you have to make a choice. Okay. So I just want to empower folks. If you're staying at a place that's like that, you can be viewed as enabling the culture to persist. And I don't want to make people bad or wrong for that, but it's, you know, we've got to start looking in the mirror and saying, hey, how am I, even if it's inadvertent, allowing something to happen that isn't really right? So I just want to offer that as a thought for you as a as a business person.
3: Any thoughts I, on that, Maha? I couldn't agree more. There is so much of this that um, it, it's such a wonderful large world where we work in, we can move from one organization to another. It's not as stigmatized as it used to be. Um, you move in one year, two years. Uh, if it, the workplace is not a good fit because of that culture, sometimes and most often the the best fit is to not go there, not work in that place or not work with that client. And uh, saying no is the number one skill maybe in business. Yeah. How to say it, when to say it, uh, yeah. how polite and how to phrase it. And uh, I couldn't agree more with what you just shared.
1: Yeah, no, saying no, it, it, folks need to empower themselves. And I, I kind of want to go to these folks. That they feel terrible if folks you know that you're working with end up leaving hurt Feeling misunderstood. And I don't want folks to think of themselves as bad people. I also want folks to appreciate at times how inadvertently we may have enabled people to do things to us. No one makes us feel bad. No one makes us do these things. And I know that can be a very tough thing for some folks, but um, being able to reflect and say, hey, you know, what was something that one might have enabled someone else to do that, you know, where one could have held their ground. Saying no is kind of a big one. And we I know people who label themselves a bit as pleasers. They always want to say yes. They want to do everything. Well, we all know we can't do everything. And so for folks who may be struggling with that, you know, I would really encourage that really looking in the mirror and saying, hey, wait, wait, wait a second. This isn't perfect. Like what would make it perfect? What do I really want to have happen? If you have a boss relationship and you're feeling horrible, okay, acknowledge that. And then think about like, what is it that's making you feel horrible? Now, are you just feeling bad about yourself because that's a default for you? And again, I'm not, I don't want to make anyone bad, but you have to be open to a 360 view of that. Um, and, uh, And those are some of my darker moments is when you're like, oh my God, did I do that? Yeah, I did it. And so the decision is, do I want to like berate myself for the rest of my life? Or making a mistake, or do I want to learn and grow from that? And that's a conscious choice. So I just want to empower folks to, to see it as objectively as you can, knowing that we can't, you know, be objective about ourselves. Um, but Maha, maybe you could take us through without divulging any sensitivities, uh, mm-hmm. a situation maybe that didn't go well with a client or did go well, and we can talk about that.
3: Yes. Um, so um, in the There was this individual that was in an organization, um, in DC international, um, and she loved her work. She loves her colleagues and she has some very thick skin. So not, it's, it's not one or two things that really, uh, affect her ability to speak up. If anything, uh, she is one of those people that will speak up in a meeting. It doesn't matter if you're the CEO, after you finish, she will politely raise her hand and, uh state her completely contradictory opinion and validate it with um, with proof. And uh, it's just a wonderful way of being, um, her communication was fantastic for a European context, maybe. Let's just call it European. Um, and that's the context she had worked in uh, for the majority of her life. Whereas, um in white-glove DC culture, maybe that wasn't the best uh, approach. And what was happening is, instead of um, individuals around her addressing those things uh, directly with her, and she's a very strong character, (laughs) um, what ended up happening is mockery of, or jokes, uh, that had to do with English as a, I think it was a third or fourth language that she spoke. she speaks fine languages and 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 it was things that i I hate to say it but uh, not everyone in the world understands what netflix and chill is so they will come to the u.s and pick up a phrase and i'm giving that as an example that is ridiculous because it did happen in one of her meetings and she brought it up uh that she didn't know what it meant um and everybody was laughing and instead of people going to her and telling her what that meant respectfully um, she continued to use it uh every now and then and people would continue to laugh Um, so uh, we had a chat about it and, um, one thing that I, um, kind of shared with her is to state the purpose as clearly as possible in those one-on-ones with, uh, let's say her supervisor or the teams, um, because sometimes different, uh, angles and different aspects of language. Some languages are not direct, some language uh, approaches are. Uh, stating your purpose very clearly is, uh, is, is very important as you start. This is what we want to talk about. This is what we want to achieve. And then ask them to restate or you yourself restating um, what you've heard. To make sure that you're both on the same page. It is critical when there's someone on the team that maybe there's a little bit of a misunderstanding with on a reg- in a normal setting to do that but especially if uh, th- there's a bit of uh, more complexities there to, to do that. To be more conscious that restating is uh, very helpful for those situations in diffusing or ensuring clarity. Be conscious that it's about um, sometimes about power dynamics and interpersonal interactions. So it's not always about you. It is about a power dynamic that's there. Some you can control, some you can't. Some you can affect positively, some you can't. Know what you can control, know what you can't. And not not everything is perfect out there. So pick your battles and figure out what it is that you want to deal with. Yes, there are situations that are... Um, abusive and we're not going to be talking about those today, but yes, we have to figure out what it is that we are going to be putting up with and what we're going to be doing uh, about those and how we're going to be improving them or, 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 or otherwise leaving them. And then fourth, if you can adjust, if, if you're able to, to the cultural norms, at least in your mindset, be able to understand that there's a cultural norm there. Um, so I'll give you an example. In some cultures, you start out by asking how a person is and ask about their family. Because you you show that you care about them and show them that you care about them. And then you start talking about work. And I'm sure, Molly, you've come across this uh, in some situations. Whereas in others, you just get straight to the point. And I get it. But when you're dealing with an international context, let's say a partner that you have um, in another part of the world... It, it, it helps to understand that cultural norms can be different. And, you know, if, if and when possible, it, it doesn't hurt to abide by them if they don't hurt our business. It's going to take an extra few seconds, but it will show that we're genuine and sincere and will help open communi- doors to communication in the long run. So those are just my takeaways from it.
1: That's really great stuff, and this could be a much longer conversation, but let me just throw out a, a few thoughts, and I agree with everything you've put out there. First, the notion of, of cultural norms. We can't know what we don't know. The When you're a new person, uh, and I'm going to say both on the receiving, you're coming in or you're bringing in someone that's new, hey, here's a, a potential difference. Let's not judge it, but let's be open about the fact that there might be some differences and let's give ourselves some space to talk about that, ideally earlier on, right, than later on. So if you're a new person and everyone is from one place and works one way and you're the oddball out, quote unquote, know that you could be a real gift to this system, but that it's going to take some heavier lifting on you to be able to help them to potentially see things in ways that are different because they just haven't had that opportunity. Right. So, you know, it's just having some compassion there. When we're the newer person, well, I would expect a boss and colleagues to shepherd a process of seeing how someone is fitting in or not. Um, If that's not coming up naturally, you want to be proactive, say, hey, you know, I really, you know, this has been new. Maybe you're getting some sense that it's not quite working, but you don't know what it is about it. So you can show some vulnerability about wanting to really you know, support and be youthful. Sometimes it's a little awkward. You know, could we have a chat about maybe some things I'm not aware of or things I could be doing and I'm really open to feedback. It doesn't have to be one session, but you want to be able to start to peel that back so that you're not three months, six months, nine months, one year in, right? Where all of a sudden it's kind of sideways and you're not really sure what happened. Um, so I just want to offer the ability to be proactive about it. Um, and particularly on the receiving end it is a little bit sad to hear the a bit of mockery or what have you you know again i don't think people were evil they probably just thought it was a joke but you know a joke about someone is just never funny it's
4: never funny
1: and if you see Absolutely. that going on you want to help people appreciate hey i know it might be funny to us but for a lot of folks that isn't so funny and it actually doesn't signal a great deal of safety for others so you want to try to help people appreciate that you know, that's where it can feel like a good old boy sort of dynamic, even though people aren't trying to do that. So um, this is a really rich topic. We've talked about a lot. Um, Why don't we just share one top takeaway, Maha? I'd love to hear if there's one particular thing that's landing for you.
3: I feel that one of the uh, most important takeaways is to trust that, uh, as like you started out uh, uh, your phrase with, is that you bring so much uh, richness to an organization and company and the places that you go to. Um, and um, just keep thinking about that. You're there, you have your purpose, and you can share it anywhere. Uh, Just believe in that, continue to believe in it, and continue to grow, because as long as you're growing and learning, um, all those differences uh, become enriching experiences.
1: I love it. I love it. You're a part of the solution. I really thank you for joining me and sharing your thoughts and cheering for you and not that you need it, but if I can be helpful at all, uh, Maha, you let me know. You take good care. Thank you. Okay, we're heading next door to where I am to the great state of New Jersey, and I am thrilled to welcome Deanne to the show. Deanne, thank you for joining me. Hi, Molly. I'm glad to be here. I am too, my friend, and I am really interested, um, what's top of mind for you?
5: Okay. Um, I'd like to share, uh, a recent experience that I, that I had in the, the past year. Um, we all know what the past three years have been for a lot of us as far as the COVID pandemic. Um, during that time, um, I had a lot of questions, uh, I'm an analyzer in my profession. So I had a lot a lot of questions of everything that was going on with uh decisions made, um, mandates, um all the things surrounding um COVID. Uh but what hit me the most was uh the the fact that I had a mother with dementia in an assisted living facility at the time. Um when it all started I was able to visit her uh, anytime that I wanted to to make sure that she was being cared for. She may not have remembered my name, but the moment that she saw me, I could see that my presence calmed her. Often I was called to uh, to help when she was especially agitated. Uh, when I did visit, I wasn't able, at, you know, before the lockdowns, I should say. Um, When I did visit with her, I couldn't have conversations. Um, I basically just had to be with her. Uh, She taught me a lot about patience and being present. Um, She would just babble, and I would paint her nails, do her hair, and just be with her. Well, back in February 2020, um, when all of uh, the COVID things started really kicking in, um, they pretty much locked down. We couldn't visit at all. Um, and over time, I may have visited her maybe a half a dozen times in the eight months, the last eight months of her life. Uh, they provided a FaceTime video, which uh, was great. I could see her, but I, I couldn't converse with her. She didn't even know what a computer was. She didn't understand. It confused her even more. Um. For her birthday in August, I got to stand outside of a window and watch her with other people as they helped her open the presents, as they hugged her. Uh, a few times that I w- we were allowed to visit, uh, we had to sit outside. Uh, I couldn't touch her. Uh, one time she started to cry and I, you know, instinctively reached out to her and they chastised me. Um, It was a very, very difficult time. Uh, I do remember many times leaving the facility just yelling and screaming because this is just not what I wanted. Um, This is not what I wanted for her for the last, you know, however months of her life. Uh, At the same time, I was speaking to the director of the facility and he was just as upset and confused about all the rules um, he could see the effect that was hap- happening on the residents, uh, their families, even the staff. Uh, so this this went on. Uh, she finally passed in November of 2020. It was a blessing. I don't know if you know of anybody with dementia, but you you grieve that losing that person twice. So. It, it, it was a very difficult time, um, and I remember the day that they told me that she had passed. I looked at my husband and said, "Oh, well, now that she's dead, maybe now I can touch her." Um, to not to be to not be given the chance to say goodbye, to not to be with her um, when she needed it the most. Uh, was excruciating, and I know I was not the only one during this time that had to experience this. Um, but I th- think I didn't realize the total impact of that year had on me because, uh, getting through 2021 was difficult. Um, at work, we had a uh uh, a, a corporate uh, remanagement, um, which at the time I didn't realize that, uh, that I, there was more lack of control. Um, so by 2022, I was not in a good headspace at all. Um, I didn't really realize how all of that had affected me. I couldn't say that I was sad. I couldn't say that I was depressed. I I just didn't know what to call it. But I kept looking, I kept searching. Um, And I read the book, Do Hard Things by Steve Magnus. And in the chapter, uh, he spoke about an experiment that Martin Seligman and Steve Mayer of the University of Pennsylvania did and it involved where they shocked dogs. And these dogs, there were two sets of dogs. One dog had a panel where when they were shocked they could hit against the panel and the shocking would stop. The other dogs had no escape. And then later they would put these dogs in another uh, compartment where they could actually like jump out of the, the box. The ones that had that panel quickly learned they could escape. The ones that never had that ability would just sit there and they would take the shocks. And they called it learned helplessness. And when I started reading and I started seeing that the pain and suffering were out of their control, they had no power, um, what was happening to them. And he stated that we lose the ability to try. The lack of control extinguishes the flame of even the most motivated. And at that moment, I'm like, that's it. That's how how I felt. Because I had no control. There was no way for me to help my mother. And the whole world was kind of out of control during that time as well. I... I just felt that I finally had the words for what I was feeling. And I can't describe to you um, the weight that was lifted at that moment.
1: Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. And I um, gosh, I don't wish that upon you and your sheer courage. And I know you didn't really feel like you had a choice, but to handle that um, is remarkable. And uh, I'm very sorry for your loss and that you couldn't be there the way you wanted to, but um, and I know your mom knew and um, you know you did everything you could. So I hope you do take some solace in that, Dan. I'm
5: learning. I'm also learning to forgive. Um, I was very angry for a very long time at the whole situation, the whole world situation, everything, just everyone, everything, um, very angry. Um, I am, I am learning to, you know, let that go, um, learning to forgive. I realized that during the whole situation, um, the fear that was perpetuated, everybody was acting out of that fear, um, So, uh, yeah, I do. I do. I'm learning forgiveness. And at the time, intellectually, I knew that I the only thing I have control over, anyone really has control over are your thoughts and your reaction to things. Intellectually, I understood that. But to go through something like that, um, I forgot And, and I didn't realize how much all of it took its toll. But I am extremely thankful that I continue to uh to learn and I continue to explore and um that I, I'm you know working through that. And Molly, I when I was going through the book trying to find um the chapter, he talked about learn helplessness and he talked about like uh also like the bosses that micromanage and where companies, you know, track everything, like this learned helplessness and that lack of motivation can happen anywhere to anyone. So I just thought it was fascinating.
1: Oh, for sure. And I, you know, I'm so, again, I do not wish this on you, but you're better for it for sure. And the, the process to just figure out what's going on, it's really hard and to, to, I can, I can hear, feel the epiphany of, learned helplessness that's it that's it that's it that's That's me and you know it's it's important to be able to come to grips with whatever it is for ourselves you know if you will it's kind of like where am i and if you can't really articulate where are you even if you know where you want to go you can't chart the right path so i can see how really destabilizing it is to not have a sense of like how do i describe where i'm at or what i'm feeling or what's going on with me so um I think this is in that bucket of do the work for ourselves, and um, your ability to have some clarity about it is really great. Obviously, for yourself to move on, Dan, but I really, really appreciate you being able to articulate it for others. And um, you know, you mentioned learning to forgive, and that's a it's a big one. I had Curtis Martin on the show, and Curtis talked about this when finally I think his mother was able to forgive his father, and to just not have that as a boat anchor. Is there one suggestion you have for listeners about what's helped you to to learn to forgive and let go?
5: I guess just acknowledging that we all all have fear. um, And that a lot of people, their actions and their words come from their fears. And to just just that acceptance and allowance of allowing people to be where they are um, is helping me uh, to forgive them, and also to forgive myself um, too for being so angry.
1: Oh my gosh! Thank you for bringing up the self forgiveness piece, which is where it starts. You know, so um, my heart is. Um, was heavy and now it's very light and warm because I really appreciate that the journey that you're you've been on and you are on and and the courage to, t- to share it with us, Deanne. so I just want to thank you for that. Um, do you have one takeaway as you've heard yourself?
5: It's just a- appreciative that um, I continue to explore and learn and know that I don't know everything. <laughs> and to um, to listen to others, you know, you, your guests, um, books, to just constantly um, expand uh, my understanding of myself and others.
1: Great. I'm cheering for you. A very big hug from afar. You are part of the solution and I am here to help you any way I can, my friend. You take good care.
5: Thank you so much. Okay,
1: folks, I have one scenario. I had an early in career professional uh, who is a friend and mentee of mine call in. We'll call him Thomas, and he was a bit desperate. Um, So I want to review this. Uh, Working in the healthcare space, wanted to have a conversation with a manager around self-care and travel for work, and they've literally just piled it on. So super erratic schedule, changes all the time, traveling everywhere, super drained, and then the company had some new processes that supposedly make life better, but it's significantly more administration and, of course, no increase in comp. So I, not to solve the whole thing, but I did want to offer, if you use this me, you, we framework, the first thing in the me component is just getting in the right headspace to have a conversation with the boss. If you're exhausted, if you're angry, whatever it is, those things can take away from your ability to have constructive conversation. So I encourage just really finding some way to get enough rest so you can see straight and you've got to be able to create space for yourself to do so. And that's really the most important thing. The next thing is what do you really want to have happen? And so again, when you're in the fog of war, that ability to exhale, step back and say, okay, what do I want to have happen? And, you know, understanding your own non-negotiables is super important. It may help to circle the wagons with colleagues. Are you the only one having this experience or is everyone in exactly the same situation? Um, So I would encourage really focusing on the self. What do you want to have happen? Do you have common cause with others? And the next step is just testing the waters with a boss. And you can be the vulnerable and say, hey, I'm I'm struggling a bit. I'd love to have a conversation about this because I really want to do great work. I'm just really, really having a hard time. And the response you get, can be one of caring, like, oh my gosh, let's talk. Or it could be like, join the club, it all stinks for everyone. And so I just want to offer that is what it is, but you want to be realistic about where the boss and the organization really are before you kind of go there. Um, and I know there's more to solve this, but I just wanted to offer that as a starting point and I'll reach out and um, close a loop with you on this. But you know, my heart is out to folks who are in those situations. Um, Okay. We've covered a lot. I want to leave you with a thought for the week. And that is from Sydney Poitier. I am the me I choose to be. And that is a wrap folks. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Reflect on your own top takeaways and know I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality. Essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life.
4: Homelessness is solvable. Communities are proving it. And it begins by understanding that we can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. The U.S. spends billions each year responding, but it's clear more resources alone aren't enough to solve this complex problem. Community Solutions is a nonprofit working alongside 105 U.S. communities, proving it is possible to make homelessness rare and brief starting with veteran and chronic homelessness. These cities and counties are fundamentally changing their approach and have committed to get to zero homelessness using real-time, person-specific data to work and use their resources wisely. What can you do? Visit wwwbuilt 4 See if your community is engaged. Contact your mayor and ask, do you know the number of people experiencing homelessness in real-time? Do you know every homeless person by name and need? What are you doing to drive measurable reductions in homelessness? Please challenge the fiction that says homelessness can't be solved.
0: Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter.